Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden this time. And I've just stepped off the plane from several weeks of traveling around. I'm usually, at least for the last couple of weeks in the last month, I've been on a plane almost every other day flying from country to country, sometimes from continent to continent. Just within the last seven days, I've gone to from uh, the west coast of the United States to Turkey, from Turkey to Oman, from Oman to east coast of the United States, from the east coast of the United States to Europe, which is where I'm at now. And oftentimes during those flights, I don't know if you can relate or not, but oftentimes during those long international flights, I find myself awake when everybody else is asleep. And you just have that glowing light coming from the screen that's in the seat back in front of you. And while everybody else is asleep, that's when I get into the mood to watch certain movies. And I find myself re-watching movies that I've seen, you know, many times before. But it's during those times that I find the desire to watch movies that are a little bit less gleeful. Movies that are a little bit darker. Movies that, and and when I say darker, I'm not talking about the darkness that comes with watching something scary evil. There's, there's, a, there's a part of me that, for lack of a better word, maybe darkness is not the right word, but I'm going to use the word darkness, and it's going to make many of you cringe, but I'm going to use it anyway, that there's a darkness inside of me. And sometimes I massage it. Now, I'm not talking about a, a psychopathic darkness, though that may be the case as well. But in this instance, I'm talking about something that is a little bit more somber, a little bit more reflective a little bit more gravitating towards the book of Ecclesiastes where the wisest man to ever live tells us that we need to take time and reflect on death, our death. We need to take time and remember that this life is like a mist. It comes and goes. So I'm sitting on this plane and I'm watching this movie and I'm haunted by a fact that as I'm watching this old movie, it hits me. The glamour, the glitter, the beauty of the actors and the actresses, the strength of the actors could not deny them the one thing that comes to us all, death. I realized as I was watching this movie that everybody that I'm watching, virtually everybody, I looked up a couple of them on Google and saw that several of them, if not all of them, were dead. The character, the wit, the beauty, it was all captured in that moment 
on film. It was a snapshot of time that is like a time capsule that preserves their, their youth. But the truth is, though the film helped preserve their memory and help their memory live on, for people like me in 2021 to watch that movie, it could do nothing to keep them from their fate. I'm sitting on the plane and I had this chill run down my spine when I heard the words, we will all cross over. We will all cross over. Not a lot of you will like this podcast. You might even want to stop it right now. You might even want to go to another one, one that's more cheery and happy and, and, and full of optimism. This is not that podcast. This is a podcast to remind you that life on earth is short and our sins are great and hell is real and waiting for those of us that do not cling to the cross. Sometimes I know that we often feel like we're going to live forever. Even if I'm sick as a Christian, I believe that God can heal me. He can heal me. He has healed me, but he must, in the end, release me to my fate. The fate that all men of Adam must face. For those of you that don't know, my father, my real father, died when he was only 19 years old. I've lived twice as long as he has. If I were to die and, and go to heaven and meet him in heaven, I would be the older one. I would be old enough to be his father. In fact, before my son went back to school for the fall, before he went back to university, we traveled together to go find his grave in Muncie, Indiana. It was my oldest son's first time going there. Now, I know that I was there as a one-year-old when my dad died, so I know that my mom took me then. And I remember at some point I'd gone later on in life, soon after my boys were born. So that's been over 20 years ago. So I knew kind of where his grave was, and I don't remember how I found it or, or what I looked at 20 years ago to find it, because we didn't have Google 20 years ago, right, to find his grave. But I, somehow I found it. Maybe it was my grandmother. Not sure. But I took him to go see my, my real father, his grandfather's grave together. I'm only a fifth generation American. So I'm, I'm pretty close to those immigrants who first came to America. My father was a fourth generation American. And as we went there, and I'm standing there with my oldest son, it's hard for me to think that my son is now three years older than my father was, than his grandfather was when his grandfather died. If, if he were to die and go to heaven and, and saw his grandfather at the age that he was when he died, he would be older than his grandfather by a couple of years, by three years. My youngest son is now the age of my father when he was hit by a train and taken out of this life completely unexpectedly, removed from this world without warning. So maybe because of that, I, I wrestle a little bit with the ever-present knowledge that this life is not as long as we plan. 
God is a keeper of promises, my friend. And just as he promised to heal my body of my infirmities by the stripes upon his back, God must also keep his other promises. The ones that I might not like. The promise that I feel that ministry oftentimes ignores, that we as Christians willingly ignore, that believers try to even hide. And that's the promise that in the day that you eat from this tree, you will surely die. Promises made are promises kept. Because of that, we will all cross over. Many people point out that Adam did not die, but he did. And when I say he didn't die, what I'm, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is that he didn't die immediately, right? So when Satan tells Adam, you won't surely die, after Adam partakes of the fruit, it's true. He didn't physically die in that moment, but trust me when I say he died the moment he took a bite. You notice how the moment that he took a bite of the fruit, everything changed? The way that he saw Eve, the way that Eve saw him, everything changed. It didn't change when Eve took a bite of the fruit. It did change when Adam willfully took a bite of the fruit, knowing the consequences. He took a bite anyway, and he died. Now, he didn't fall over completely dead right at that moment, but his innocence died. The innocence in the world died. His sinlessness died. The earth groaned because something in the earth died. Adam's relationship with God died. His life in the garden died. His relationship with his own wife, Eve, died. And eventually, Adam did die. It is sobering, and it should be. It is meant to be. You know, I, I believe that for me, I'm busy flying around the world all the time. I'm going from country to country, working together with the Back to Jerusalem missionaries on different continents, doing amazing, amazing work. But every moment that I have in life, I find sometimes is filled with meetings, preaching, writing, traveling, etc. Sometimes I wonder, I'm just being honest with you. I wonder how much of what I do is for God and how much of what I do is to take my mind off of the reality that we will all cross over. Do I stay busy in ministry because I want to do God's will or do I stay busy in ministry to take my mind off of death or is it a mixture of the two? In lonely, sobering moments, I realize that my busyness helps distract me. It does, in fact, help distract me from the heaviness that one day darkness will enter my life. It will fill the room and I'll be alone. I might be surrounded by family. I might be holding the hand of the woman that I love. I might be able to gaze once more into the eyes of my children who carry my name and also carry my genetics. 
But with all of that, none of it will change the fact that I'll be alone. I will embark on a promised journey that no one can go with me on. I and I alone must travel down the corridor of no return. And you, and you alone, must also travel down that same corridor of no return. We will all cross over. But you might be saying, I have, I have more to do. I have, I have more words to say, more dreams that are unfulfilled, days that are unlived, mornings that I think that I still have to wake up. But the truth is, I don't know. You don't know. When you will see your last sunset, eat your last meal, get dressed one last time, we will all cross over. You might have a nicer car than anyone else that you know. Your home might be bigger than everyone else in your neighborhood, maybe in your state or your country. You may be more famous and more well-known than anyone you know. You may have more faith in Jesus Christ than anyone else in your church. You may have a closer relationship with God than anyone else in your family. It does not matter. Everything in this world, you leave it behind. We will all cross over. If you are afraid, if, if, if you're not afraid, it doesn't matter. We will all cross over. If you cry when you think about death, if you don't cry when you think about death, it doesn't stop the process of death itself. We will all cross over. Guys, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in Buddha, if you believe in Allah, if you believe in nothing, if you believe in yourself, we will all cross over. You are never too young. You've been eating pretty well lately, but you're never too healthy. You're never too famous. You're never too smart. You're never too needed. You're never too important. The world has lived without you before and it will live without you again. We will all cross over. And I would like to ask you, what have you done? What have you done in this life? What could you have done that you haven't? Did you have fun? Did you party it up? Did you light up the city and paint the town red? Did you think that you had forever to write that book that God put on your heart? Sing that song that God gave to you and only you? Take that trip to help someone that God called you to help, but you never took it? Kiss that girl that you were supposed to love and you thought you had longer and more time. You thought you had forever to fall in love. You thought that you would live forever in some way. I mean, everybody acknowledges that they don't live forever, but yet we put off things until tomorrow because we think that we still have time. For a short moment in time, you had a feeling of invincibility. That's why you don't think about death. You don't like to think about death because you would like to think that you are invincible. I know because that's me. I like to think that I'm invincible. I would like to think that I'm going to live forever. But guys, we all cross over. 
Do you remember those stories? I don't know if you ever sat down with a photo album or not. I think it's one of the saddest things about our generation that we do everything digital. Like those family Bibles that are handed down from generation to generation. I'm sitting right now in our cabin in northern Sweden and I'm looking at two Bibles that I bought at a in the back room of a bookstore that they didn't even know they had them. And they asked me to name the price. And so I named the price of over almost a 300 year old Bible, 270 years old. I bought these two Bibles. One is a King James version and one is a Swedish version, Swedish Bible. Old book, over, you know, over a hundred years old for the Swedish Bible, over 200 years old. I think it's 200 years old. I have to look it back up. I'm, it's not, it's not in my hands. It's, it's on a shelf right in front of me. I'm not going to grab it, but it's, it, it's this Bible that was meant to be handed down from family member to family member. It's old, dusty, raggedy. It was forgotten. And as I open it up and I go through the pages, I think to myself, what were the families before that read this Bible? And how sad it will be that I will not pass my Bible to my boys because the Bible that I use the most is on my phone. It's digital. And the pictures that I, I take a lot of are on Facebook. They're, they're, they're not even real. They're just in digitized form. But when I was little and the family would pull out these old, dusty photo album books, and they would tell me about distant relatives in my family that are long gone. Or maybe I sat down in history class as a little kid and I was, I was shown pictures of old men. They looked old. It was black and white photos about how our nation was founded. And, and I can go into a church and kind of sometimes see the history of the church and see the pictures of those that founded the church. Do you ever stop to look at those black and white photos of the men, the women, the babies who are only a mist of a memory, not even a real memory. Like people don't remember what their voices sounded like. Many of them are not known by our generation. They're just, mem they're just remembered because of a photo. They seem unreal. They seem as if they were always old, always wise, wiser than us somehow. Or at least that's what I've always thought. Like when I see those old black and white photos, I was like, oh yeah, they knew what they were doing much more than I. And maybe in some ways when I look at them, I always think that maybe they were always dead, but they weren't always dead. They were young like you. I was going to say like me, but I'm not so young anymore. They, th th those black and white photos are of individuals that were once babies. They were once young and feeling like they would live forever. There was a time that they would have thought that you were old at the age that you are now. I, I definitely know many of them would look at me like I'm old at the age that I am now. There was a time that their laughs, their laughter, filled the air. Their voices echoed in the marble halls of power and their ideas shaped societies that I still live in and benefit from today. Or maybe I don't benefit. You know, those old photos of those that founded the, the, the Soviet power 
of the Soviet Union or, or those that founded North Korea, those wise men or not so wise men founded and shaped societies that made things more miserable for those that followed after them. It doesn't matter. Their laughter no longer fills the air. Their voices no longer echo in the marble halls. Maybe those marble halls don't even exist anymore. Like you, like me, they had emotions. They were angry. They were hurt. They were heartbroken, hungry, full, happy, surprised. And I'm certain that nothing surprised them as much as time. Maybe I'm thinking of this a little bit now because I have no one left in my grandparents' generation anymore, my family. All of those that were in my grandparents' generation, both on my wife's side and my side, my, my mother's parents, my wife's uh, my, my, my mother's parents, my father's parents, my wife's mother's parents, my wife's father's parents, that generation, that lineage, that line has marched over to the other side. And now my parents are the next in line. My parents have now taken one step closer to the age of my grandparents before they died. They're now in that front lines against death. My children are at the age of now having children themselves, making me a grand grandparent. And then my parents are great grandparents. Where did the time go? It slipped away like, like sand. It just, it passed by and it was gone like a mist. And we all, as a generation, my parents, my wife and I, my children, after the death of my grandparents in that generation, we all took one step closer to the grave. We graduated to the next reserved spot leading to eternity. How did it happen so soon? One day, my grandparents were celebrating Christmas with me, with my first bike that they bought for me. And the next, I'm the minister preaching at their funeral. I'm no longer the little boy getting his very first bike. I'm now the adult preaching the message to those mourning my grandparents. One day, my grandfather is this man who knew everything. He, teach, he, he taught me how to hunt. He taught me how to fish. He, he taught me how to skin a rabbit for the very first time. And the next day, he's old, weak, feeble, scared, vulnerable, not knowing where he's at, and unable to even go to the bathroom by himself. Time has a way of creeping up on you, has a way of creeping up on us. Time is the cruel court jester that tricks you into believing that forever is your special power. It lurks in the shadows and quietly whispers three little callous words that are the most heartless words in the entire 
language of man. Those three little words have the power to cast you into hell forever. Those three little words have been the nemesis of man since the beginning of time. Those three little words are this. You have time. Those three little words are a lie. Here are three little words that are not a lie. It's true. And that is you do not. The lie is that you have time. The truth is you do not. Those old, dusty, cracked, blurry, black and white photos need to remind you that as you are, they were. And where they have gone, you will follow. We will all cross over. Do you know what the oldest book in the Bible is? The oldest book in the Bible is said to be Job, the book of Job. And the oldest book in the Bible reminds us of an old adage that is as old as man itself. And that is, our time will come. I want to read from the book of Job. Chapter 17, my days have passed, my plans are shattered, yet the desires of my heart turn night into day. In the face of the darkest light there is near, if the only home I hope for is the grave, if I spread out my bed in the realm of darkness, if I say to corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, my mother or my sister, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? Will it go down to the gates of death? Will we descend together into the dust? Brothers and sisters, we will all cross over. Ecclesiastes writes it best, I believe, in chapter 3, when he says this, Surely the fate of humans is like that of the animals. The same fate waits for us both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from the dust. And to the dust, all return. We will all cross over. Even the psalmist laments the final moments when he writes in chapter 22. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. And there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. We will all cross over. Dance in the spring, swim in the summer, reflect in the brilliant colors of the fall, but let there be no doubt that the cold, dark days of the winter are coming. You can quote the great poem of rage, rage against the dying of the light. You can quote that if you like but your rage will not add even one second longer to your life. You can bellow as loud as you like. Do not go gentle into that good night. But whether gently 
or aggressively, we will all cross over. Rage against it if you like, but you will not delay death for even one second longer. The angel of death will come for us all. And you might fight this message and say, you know what? I don't believe in anything that you're saying. This is too dark. This is without hope. I have hope in Jesus Christ. And like Lazarus that died, Jesus will come and heal me and bring me out of death. He will call my name and I will rise up out of the grave. You will, my friend, but not on this side of the Jordan. Don't forget one important thing when thinking about the story of Lazarus as your great hope. And that is, Lazarus died again. Oh, but I'll be resurrected. The grave has no victory over me. Here's the cold truth. We will all be resurrected. You're not going to be resurrected just because you're a Christian and you believe in Christ. Even the sinners will be resurrected. We will all be resurrected together. It doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. If you believe in Allah or you don't believe in Allah, sinners and saints will be resurrected alike. Maybe not at the same time, but we will all rise again from death. We will all die in this world and rise again in another. And we will all, sinners, and saints, those that believe in Jesus Christ and those that do not, will all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And you and I will stand alone before Him. We will not be able to cling to anybody else other than Jesus Christ. You cannot cling to your mother, your father, your wife, your child. You cannot blame what you did or did not do on others. You cannot say, well, I didn't do what I was supposed to do, but he made me do it. You cannot say, I wanted to do A, B, and C, but I couldn't because I didn't have the resources because the one percenters kept me from having it. You cannot say that, well, I didn't go to a good school. I didn't have all of the right tools. I grew up in a poor neighborhood. I was persecuted because of my faith. I was persecuted because of my race. I was persecuted because of my sex. All of that is absolute garbage before the throne of Jesus Christ, you will have to stand before the judgment seat and answer for what you did and you did not do. And at that time, you will have to decide whether you will cling to the cross or not. And that decision will be have been made before you go to the grave. That grave is the sealing spot where your fate is sealed and you don't know when it's coming. You do not know when it's coming. So you need to make the decision to cling to Christ before that day comes. Because you will have to answer for the life that you have lived and the things that you have done. You will have to give a reason why you were given talents that were put into your hand that you did not use. Why were you given time that you wasted away? Did you think that you would live forever? Do not stand there and front of the judgment seat of God, looking stupid with that stupid look on your face and say, God, I, I thought I had more time. You don't have more time. Life is short. Death is coming. 
Hell is hot. Do what you have been called to do and do not piss it away. You do not let this day pass you by. We will all cross over. I remember, and this is a story that some of you have heard before, some of you have not. But I remember when I was in a place in China called Liu Panshui. And during those days in the early 2000s, there was no, there, you could only, as a foreigner, you could only live at hotels in China that were authorized to take foreigners. And because I was a foreigner, I was only allowed to stay at certain hotels. When I went to Liu Panshui, which is in the western part of China, it's this little coal mining town, there were zero hotels that were authorized to take foreigners. So I was there working together with the government and I was not able to stay in any hotel. So the government put me in a room in the hospital. And because I was the only American that had probably ever been to that hospital and lived there, the doctors and the nurses and the staff were excited that there was a foreigner that was there. And some of them had studied a little English and they wanted to practice their English. And so I was excited to be together with them. And I had about 20 people surrounding me from the hospital staff late one night, the very first night that I arrived in this town of Liu Panshui. And I remember it really clearly that I felt the presence of God come upon me and tell me to share about back to Jerusalem together with all this hospital staff. And when I heard that, I thought to myself, I mean, this is all internal, right? I'm not having an audible conversation, talking to myself with everybody else around me. This is, this is an internal debate that I'm having. And I'm pretty certain that this is God that is saying, tell them about the vision of back to Jerusalem. And as I'm sitting there, I start to think that would not be wise for me to do that because this has been all arranged by the government. And once I start sharing about the Back to Jerusalem vision, they will quickly understand that I am here for missions. And they already know that, but I didn't want to make it so obvious. And so I'm, I'm debating that, but the debate didn't take that long. I mean, it's not like an hour long debate. It's like fractions of seconds that this is happening. And I decide, okay, I'm going to talk about the Back to Jerusalem vision. So I do. And I start to talk about how there was revivals in China and that there was this great number of Chinese Christians that began to go west and preach the gospel in areas in Western China, as well as nations that were to the west of China and share with these nations about the, the, the return of Jesus Christ and, and how he is coming back again and how we need to be prepared. And as I'm sharing this, I remember that in the back, there was a woman. And my guessing is, is that she was in her later 70s, early 80s, maybe somewhere around that age. And I remember she stood up and she said, you don't know who I am. But my grandfather was Pastor Jing, the founder of the Jesus family. Now the Jesus family started a training facility in Shandong province in 1921, exactly 100 years ago this year. So 100 years ago, her grandfather had started this Jesus family movement. And what the Jesus family did is that everybody sold everything and they lived together in a commune where everybody helped one another and they learned from the Bible. So it was a Bible school, but it was also this like um, trade school. 
where, where you learn to trade and then your trade benefited the family. And that's why it was called a Jesus family. And these Jesus families began to be replicated throughout China. And this is prior to the communist revolution in 1949. The first one started in 1921 with Pastor Jing. And so this elderly sister is sitting there and she goes, I remember when the communists came and they arrested my father and they arrested my grandfather. And they told them to stop teaching about Jesus Christ, but they wouldn't. So they were taken to prison. They were beaten. They were abused. They were killed. She said, I remember being with my mother, being rejected from going to school because of who my father was and who my grandfather was. I was considered to be an anti-revolutionary because of the, the Christian beliefs of my family. The socialist communist regime of China had deemed me an enemy of the state because of who my family was. And she goes, I remember thinking that I felt that it was unfair that I was being accused of something that I didn't get to choose. We didn't get the iron rice bowl. We didn't get the food that was handed out to everybody else. My mother almost starved to death. I almost starved to death. We, my mother couldn't get a good job. I couldn't go to a good school because we were considered to be anti-revolutionaries. And I promised myself then, she said, I would never do anything that would disappoint the party. I tried to remain a Christian, she said, but I did so by going to the churches that only the Communist Party allowed. I, I married a government official. I did everything that the party expected of me. But here I am now, in my 70s or 80s, whatever she said. She was an elderly lady, beautiful. I mean, she, she, had, a, she had a sadness to her, but there was a beauty that was starting to shine out as she continued to speak. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not being dramatic as I'm, as I'm explaining this. I'm telling you that when I looked at her, I thought to myself, this woman is shining. She's beautiful. There's a, there's a youthfulness that's coming out of her, even though she seemed sad. And she was crying and she said, now I'm in my late 70s, early 80s, whatever she was, like any true woman, she didn't give her exact age. She said, you know, now that I'm older, I realize that somebody is coming from another nation, doesn't speak my language, does not share my nationality, does not share my culture, is from a younger generation. And he is speaking the same words as my father and my grandfather. And I realize she's talking about me, that I'm the one that is not of the same nation, not of the same culture, not of the same background, not of the same generation. And I am sharing the vision of back to Jerusalem, which was the same vision that her father and her grandfather shared. It's the same vision that her father and her grandfather were taken to the grave prematurely because they refused to deny the name of Jesus Christ and they refused to give up this great commission that had been laid in their lap by Jesus himself. And they believed that it was their duty in life to complete the great commission and continue taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the West. And she said, even though 
You don't come from their generation or share their language or culture. You are still sharing the same message. They killed my father. They killed my grandfather. But they could not kill the vision. Just because you live a longer life doesn't mean that you've done the will of the Father. A longer life means you've had more opportunity to do the will of the Father. I've read books and biographies of amazing men and women that have gone before me, and today I stand on their shoulders in ministry realizing that they did more in the early lives that they had, though they died premature deaths, many of them in their 20s, many of them before they were 30, died premature deaths, and they accomplished more in their short life than I have in my longer life. And the only thing that I can do is stand before God and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. May I not waste one minute longer. Remind me of how short life is. Remind me of how close hell is, how hot hell is. Remind me of the love and the salvation and the grace and the mercy that I have gotten from you and I need to give to others. And because death is so very near and time is so very short, I have to do everything that I can today. And that busyness, is not to take my mind off of the inevitable death that is bound to come. But instead, that busyness is done with a desire, not a fear, a desire to be able to stand before you, O Heavenly Father. And hear you say the words, my good and faithful servant, well done. We will all cross over, you and me. We can't stop it. The only question is, what words will we hear from our Father who sits in the judgment seat? Will our names be written in the Lamb Book of Life? Or will we live forever in the place of eternal misery gnashing of teeth, pain, and death that never ends. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless. <laughs>